Welcome to the Leeds Church Institute podcast. To find out more about the Leeds Church Institute, visit lcrleeds.org. Leeds Citizens Community Organiser Becky Howcroft leads a conversation on race, racism and the church with Benji, Betty and Judah, who share their own thoughts and experiences. Good evening everybody and welcome to the LCI podcast. My name is Becky Howcroft and I'm a community organiser for Leeds Citizens. Leeds Citizens is an alliance of civil society organisations that come together across the city and use something called community organising to seek the common good in our city. And we actually work in partnership with LCI because LCI wants to encourage the development of leaders in faith communities and to encourage people to think and reflect around spiritual and, and social issues in Leeds. So we're working together with LCI to do just that. Um, and when it comes to community organising, we have conversations about the things that people really care about. We want to know what makes people angry, what makes people tick, what are the things that people want to see change on in this world. And then we work together to take collective action to make that happen. And one of the issues that has come up a lot in conversation over the last year is the issue of racism. And that is going to be the topic of our conversation this evening. We're going to be talking about race and racism, the church and leads. And have this conversation. I'm, I'm being joined this evening by three very interested and inter- interested and gifted individuals from South Leeds. We have Betty Abati, who is coming to us from Cottingley. Um, and can I also introduce Judah and Benji Chandra, who are coming to us from Holbeck this evening, all via the, the wonders that is Zoom. And over the next, hopefully about 45 minutes, hopefully we're going to have a really interesting conversation about racism, the church and leads and hear what these guys have to say. Um, but before we get into the conversation, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the people listening to this podcast. So maybe we can start off with Benji. Benji, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, hi everyone. So my name is Benji, as Becky said, and I moved to Holbeck I think about three years ago for work. So I currently work in a couple of part-time roles as an optometrist. And yeah, in my spare time, especially during lockdown, I've enjoyed reading a lot and yeah, enjoyed the opportunity of just reading reading interesting books. Thank you, Benji. Shall we come to Betty? Sure. Hi everyone, I'm Betty. Um I have lived in Leeds for the past like sixteen years, um, give or take a few years uh in uni for Hull uh, at Hull, sorry. Um, and I'm kind of in in the sort of beginning stages of trying to find my um, career sort of path, I guess. So I just graduated this year, just trying to figure out where I should go um, long term. And uh, this year has been good. I think it's the break that I needed, uh, surprisingly. It's been a good, like, reflective time for me. Good for my faith as well, personal faith. Yeah. Thank you, Bethany. Shall we come to Judah? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm Judah, live in Leeds. So Benji, uh, who's below me, is uh, my younger brother. Um, 
and I work in school in within careers and helping and inspiring uh, young people to move into meaningful careers and and I work in yeah school in West Leeds for that and I uh, like playing piano so it's in my background so that's that's been very nice to uh, to do um, reading books as well um, a range of topics in history and stuff um, and just like spending time with family. Thank you, everybody. I think we've got a lot of thoughtful readers in the room by the sounds of things. It's going to be interested in what's coming out of your out of your heads over the next hour. So the conversation that we're having today is a conversation about racism, which is, is a difficult conversation to have. Um, a lot of people struggle to talk about this topic, but it's, I think it's quite important that we define what we actually mean when we're talking about racism, it can, as it can be quite a loaded term. So I want to put that out to you folks. What what do you think that we mean, or what are you perceiving that we mean when we talk about racism? So we can frame this conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very important question, Becky, because it's exploded within the social sphere recently, especially since June and the George Floyd and the USA events. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of terminology sometimes that can be confusing or unhelpful, and I think some of it even as Christians, doesn't align with our beliefs. But in in essence, I guess the dictionary, the dictionary would say that racism is a belief that one race is superior to another. Other common definitions also talk about structural power as well, especially historically. But I think the main thing to get across is that racism doesn't have to be blatant to be dispiriting, and it doesn't have to be intentional to be real. So it's also... There's a concept called unconscious bias. It's when you can treat other people that look differently to you in a negative way. It's not done intentionally. And it's, um, yeah, so it's it's not necessarily kind of verbally abusing someone. That's the only definition of racism. And it's just kind of thinking that we live in a fallen and simple world, so there's really no surprise that humans would use such a small biological fact as skin color to treat people differently. And um, yeah, my kind of personal thoughts is it can be a bit frustrating because the whole conversation itself, like sometimes racism is just a social construct, right? Like it's just differences in melanin. Um, so in some ways it can be frustrating to be put in a box just because of the color of my skin. However, because we live in a racialized society and events I've had in the past remind me that I am treated differently because of the color of my skin. So I think it's, it's um, it's a definitely a very important topic to address. And I think historically the church hasn't always addressed it. So I think that's why there's an explosion in interest, it seems to me, this year. And even though that's been a bit surprising, I think I'm grateful that we can have these conversations. Thank you, Benji. I think... I think what you said about the fact that we we live in a, a fallen and sinful world and it's a very racialized society does make it very unsurprising. Um, this is an issue that then is far reaching into every part of our lives, in, including the church that we go to. Judy mm-hmm. and Betty, have you, is, have you got any takes on that when when we ask that question about what we mean, what we mean when we talk about racism, what what is is in your head? I think it's kind of I think it is hard to define um, and. Even going by the dictionary version um, of the fact of like one race being superior to the other, I don't think that's a new concept. But for some reason, 
every time you know the topic of racism is brought up it feels like a new concept to to like talk about it 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 doesn't ever feel I, I think sometimes it's easy to be like discouraged and think that there's no progress being made because it, it feels like every time the topic is brought up it 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 it's I don't know it's just hard I think it's hard to define but it's just as much a um I don't I yeah I don't know I think it's a it's a difficult thing to define but I guess because everyone experiences it in different ways as well um I think you can have overt racism or you can have microaggressions or you can have the unconscious bias um like Benji said so it's hard to define because I think everyone's experiences of it is different also depending on where you are geographically I think racism also plays a different like it comes in a different role um like I was born in Ethiopia and lived there until I was about six I didn't realize that I didn't acknowledge the color of my skin because there was no reason for me to you know what I mean so it's kind of like even moving um to the UK then you kind of have a whole new definition for it or you even learn that there is such a thing as racism so it's it's, I, I find it difficult to to define maybe that's why we yeah. kind of always need to have these conversations is because it's not something you understand in one one go yeah it's not something neat that you can just put in a box mm. thank you betty how about you Dudu? have you got anything you want to add and i think they covered i mean at least you might have picked up for them it's it's not something that People don't like to be defined into boxes or you could say, oh, I like putting something into a box. Unfortunately, things more complex than that. But I think from it's I just put something as simple as treating people differently based on the culture or color of skin. And it can be overt or covert. And I think the hardest thing with with kind of racism is how insidious it is within something you could say the structural racism as well. So, for example, yeah. I could um, there's studies that I've done by BBC in you know, 2011, when they sent 5,000 CVs, one with John Smith, and there's another one with the you know Muslim uh, Sunni names, and the Muslim Sunni names to the exact same employers had five times less uh, acceptance uh, rate. So it's yeah. things as simple as that. That might be an overt or decision or a covert decision, but it's basically saying it's there. Basically, the the sound of someone's names can stop them getting their jobs. Just as my name right now, if um might stop we potentially can stop me getting jobs, and I'll never know that. So recognizing it, yeah. there's a lot. It's not just an individual level saying, oh, I'm, oh, I haven't been racist to anyone. It's a mm-hmm. structural level as well. Um, and so we're not just talking about kind of refugees and all that who have, they will have, think of them as having structural disadvantage. Other people based on the color of skin and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a structural and power element there in their level yeah. of standing in society that can, can bar them from taking, having a meaningful and fulfilling role in society. So that's what I'll just kind of widen it out into not just individual, but the societal lens as well. I think that's a really good point you made about about power. And in some ways, we ignore the pertinence, the importance of power at our peril when it comes to this issue and how um, how it, it, it's gone so deep into our institutions, which hold a great deal of power in our lives um, and then can have a massive effect on whether you know, someone's able to get a job or the opportunities that are, are open to them. Well, thank you, everybody. I think that that helps us to start to peel away what we're talking about um, when we're talking about racism. Um, but this evening, in particular, we wanted to think about racism in the context 
of the church, and in particular the church in Leeds. Um, all of us in the room are, are Christians. We all are followers of Jesus, and we're all part of Christian communities. Um, but as as you all just touched on now, you know, racism, we live in a racialized society, and racism is something which is very deep in our society. So it is something which has has touched on the church. The church isn't immune to the culture that it's within. Mm-hmm. Um, so this evening we're going to, to share some stories and hear from Benji, Betty and Judah about their personal experiences of this issue within the church and hopefully have some good conversations around those experiences and the things that they've learned and the journey that they and the people around them have been on. Um, and I was wondering, Judah, if you would you would be okay to start us off and sharing some of your story when it comes to this. Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, it's always, uh, yeah, yes, you know, depending on what level of, you know, vulnerability, but yeah, I just thought I'd be honest. So yeah, and so I'm just kind of got a few notes down, but I'll kind of say it, um, say it out loud oh, well, uh, to you guys. So yeah, so I think just the, the context, I guess, of uh, for me is, is just, uh, I attend a church in South Leeds, um, and it just is a place where the last few years, it's something that's a very close-knit uh, community um, uh, where people live in the local area. And there's, when I joined, there was this great hope of wow, there are Christians who are living out their lives um, in the community who are who have just decided to live there, and so there was a sense of kind of hope and expectation. And I think over the years, um, there have been so uh, exclusion from social gatherings, people just not being open and friendly. Um, and as you could think of it, as, for example, like a peach where it was very open and welcoming, but there was you know you couldn't get into the inner circle. There was you were barred from it. For example. Uh, like a barbecue where me and my family asked to leave early while others stayed on afterwards. Um, and there was lots of different things which kind of being excluded, which had built up over time and it caused lots of kind of stress um, and tensions. And in June, 2020, uh, the leader from the church had asked me on my experiences of race. And this was the first time uh, they'd, you know, um, had reached out to me in that way before. Um, and so then I, um, so I, I, so I thought about it and I, I said, yes, uh, but then I had a choice do I be honest with them or do I just kind of placate, uh, placate them to have a nice, simple conversation, not go too deep. And so then I don't offend their, you know, uh, Caucasian sensibilities and we can live like a good, good life. Yeah? Or do I be honest, potentially offend them? And I was, and I was really quite concerned about this. So the day before I met up with them, I tossed and turned all night and I got my journal out and I journaled six pages, um, just about all the things I felt. And then the next uh, morning, there's a session on the Lord's Prayer, and so, um, and it was like, and I read it, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, who sin against us. Um, and I read that's, oh, I need to, I have to forgive this community. And so then I, I journaled, and I, and I basically made a de- declaration, one of forgiveness, and that my identity was not in being white, but trying to fit into a, a church, um, and my identity was in Christ. And I just cried, um, and I didn't realize that all the, the hurt that had been built up over the years and the facade I'd had to put on by being involved in these churches and, and trying to be, um, you know, acceptable to them had actually just worn me down. So when I met with um, the, the person, um, I basically, I opened the journal and I, and I just read it out to her um, and I explained and I, my heart was beating the whole time, quite nervous, quite sweaty. Um, and then I said a declaration of saying, look, um, I just want to have one forgiveness, and I'm also sorry for any you know cultural biases and things that I've had. 
And then I just kind of waited afterwards, my heart beating, just quite nervous. And they basically just, they just, and they were really gracious and they were so appreciative. And we kind of had a conversation um, following up from there. But ever since that day, June 2020, when I was thinking of leaving the church, I made a commitment saying, actually, there, there maybe there's a place for me here. And so actually that's kind of given me a new, a fresh impetus of saying, actually, there's, that there's space now uh, to have this conversation, which there would have been defensiveness in the past. So um, it didn't, not saying it solved everything, but started the process of, of healing and moving forward, which for me was just a uh, really powerful and, and transformative experience for me. Wow. Thank you, Judah. That's a, a real moment of vulnerability there that you shared. You, you mentioned that it was, you kind of went for a bit of um, wrestling about about being honest. I'm interested to know what was it that made it hard to be honest, maybe, you know, from you know, years of experience that you'd had before growing up. Was there anything that made it it hard in particular to be to be honest? Um, I think it's knowing that this, this church leader, it's not necessarily deliberate acts anyway that they would have um, they would have done, but also like some of it, some of it would have been deliberate acts that they have done. So actually, for example, imagine I'm about to pick apart Becky, your um, some of your failings, yeah? but in in a blitz, yeah, and not something that isn't necessarily to target you, but it's actually you know the it, it wasn't a personal attack, but it was a personal of actually these are ways of deliberate things. And the leader had been one of the one of the examples had been of of exclusion from their house, and I'd been a very clear and a given. I gave a really strong kind of um, narrative, basically that was didn't pull any punches. And I think that, and it's that's the last thing you want to do is offend people. Mm. But uh, but I think I part of it was my journal notes, which wasn't necessary for them when I first wrote it. It was for me to process mm. it, but I felt appropriate for them. So uh, that was the that was the angst of saying actually, having this conversation is I want it to be helpful and productive, and I don't want it yeah. to feel like they're attacked because that's the last thing I'd want. Um, I'd want it kind of to be um, a healing conversation. So I think having those six pages, but then having that that declaration of saying, you know, uh, I you know I forgive you and I love you, and I, and yeah. I want and I want to work with you and I you know, and once I'd had the forgiveness thing, I think then I was able to move forward then. But there is not wanting to offend for offending you know offending sake, and that yeah. is a concern because you you uh, um, you don't lose their. Um, they're partnering with you, so that was the that was the worry. And you mentioned you mentioned something quite powerful about reading the Lord's Prayer the next day, and the one line that really stood out to you about forgiveness. I mean, are there has there been, I guess, are there parts of your Christian faith um, and your own walk with God that have really helped you in terms of being able to process and work through this issue? Yeah, I mean, maybe is that. Um, I think that was that forgiveness. I was going through um, a discipleship um, course. Actually, this this leader had uh, helped lead. It was all about being honest with God, and is you had to read the Bible every day. Well, you don't have to, but it was you know it was recommended to read the Bible a day and and go on this uh, course and of like journaling and, and reflection. So I think that had, um, that had helped me of of basically just uh, being able to kind of journal a cry out to God. I think in a way, like you know the Psalms of lament. Um, and I think, you know, it's good. It's healthy for everyone uh, to do that. So I think that had uh, prepared me. Um, but also as part of that was um, 
something where within the course you had to kind of forgive, you know, your father. Basically, it was quite deep. It was really deep, to be honest. Yeah, but actually, that was learning me to say actually recognizing what good that my dad had done. Everyone has hurts as well, but actually, just forgiving was a really powerful thing. So I'd used that of um, of recognizing the the power of forgiveness, knowing that actually you know it's powerful when you don't want to do it. Um, and there's many powerful stories of of many people who have forgiven and the healing that comes from that. But the forgiving could only take place when there was, it was two ways and there was a place at the table for me and an open conversation where I could say that. So it was a lot of wrestling with issues, but also doing kind of deep heart work um, had led me to be able to be in a place of being willing to be vulnerable like that, which is never easy having a courageous conversation like that. Yeah. So it's part of the work of discipleship, really. Yeah, definitely. And working that through. And you and Becky, is there any reflections that you, you wanted to share from, from what you just said? Yeah, like, uh, was it it's something that was on your heart? Did you ever think about trying to bring it up earlier? Um, last year or the year before? Yeah, I think with the person, they kind of had acknowledged that as well. There hadn't been that availability of time. So part of what built up some of these issues is that there were, there wasn't that space to be able to have these conversations because they, they I understand they have busy life, they have kids, but they always felt very rushed. So there wasn't that kind of deliberate, okay, I've got, I've got time for you uh, type of thing. So I don't think I could have it. But also before um, June 2020 and what happened with George Floyd, I felt there was something of a defensiveness uh, within people judge and this this is why I was worried because this lady, even though she's really, really nice and she's going to listen to this podcast as well, um, um, she might not know, but I would have seen as kind of very strong cat, but like could have, I felt she would have been essentially quite defensive uh, about this. And so there wasn't a platform to be able to have that uh, conversation. So, um, so that's why I hadn't kind of brought it up before. Um, and to be honest, if it wasn't for what happened, I would have probably just left the church without having had this conversation because it would have been that difficult for me to have had. Uh, so really, it was it was a, a blessing in disguise because it um, she kind of contacted me, and by that, then I was forced to say actually I need to be honest with them, which I hadn't had the scope to because I didn't. Well, yes, not wanting to offend, but there wasn't that platform, and that changed. I think, which is the unique thing that in 2020, what happened? Yeah, having intentional intentional space for yeah. having that conversation and being really intentional about it is so important. Mm-hmm. Becky, was it um, before we move on? Is there any reflections that you wanted to? Um, well, there was two share. things that stuck, um, like just resonated with me. Is um, one about our identity being in what God says we are, rather than what the world says we are, um, and then also having to not only forgive or ask for forgiveness for our sins but also forgive others and I think it just started a thought process of um I think in order to have like fruitful conversations those two things need to go hand in hand because I it I found it difficult especially this year um with the sort of uh protests and everything that happened in summer to be okay with being angry but also trying to come from a christian perspective and i think one thing that really helped was the fact that un- unlike 
you know, people of the world, I have to try and understand that my identity, first of all, comes from Christ, not from what the world sees me as. And that's a black woman. And it, it I don't think, I don't think being black deters from being Christian. But I think if I don't think of myself as a Christian first, and then whatever the world sees me as, it's very difficult to have like empathetic conversations and like fruitful conversations and also forgiving uh the sort of difficult questions that may come up or the unconscious bias people already have forgiving that before even getting into certain conversations um has has really like it's just it's just made me realize how important that actually is because coming into it with all these feelings which i is natural um is usually not the best like way or like the most productive way to go about um like bringing any change so i think those two things really really resonated with me that's so powerful yeah. i think you know the the idea that being a christian um, enables you to be able to have the difficult conversation. I, I like what you said about forgiving before, and um, mm. you know, there's lots of strong emotions that are involved with this. Um, so, being given the power, I guess, to forgive before um, as a person of color, and as a white, I'm speaking as a white person, um, a chance to put those feelings of shame before God before the conversation. Yeah, I think. I understand what you're saying about um, it being an enabler to what is a difficult conversation. A lot of people kind of will shy away from having a conversation or be really scared about having it because of all of maybe those different feelings. But I think that's really true and powerful what you said about um, how your faith gives you the ability to actually be able to do that. Mm. Thank you, Judah, so much for sharing that story. That's a really powerful one and it's really encouraging to to see and hear about the journey that you've, you've been on with the people around you. Um, I'm going to come to Benji now and ask whether you could share a bit of your story and, and, okay. and some of the journey that you've been on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess one thing helpful to acknowledge is that I've lived in a few cities in the past. So we grew up in Kenya for a few years and then moved to Birmingham and then moved to Hull and then also Leeds. Um, so, so the, yeah, but there's been a few churches that I've been part of, but in especially in England, there's always kind of been a challenge. Um, and I guess one aspect is that in, in kind of society, like outside church, there's been times when I've been openly racially abused or profiled. And of course, most of us and our listeners would agree that that's abhorrent and as believers, we shouldn't do that. And thankfully, my experience in the church has been much less intense, you could say, and I've had so many positive experiences as a whole. But yeah, if I think specifically about Leeds, and as I said, some of these challenges I've also experienced in, in other cities and churches, I think um, one sense that I've always felt is that, especially when churches can be quite monocultural, so quite often I experience like... Um, a white middle class kind of culture, which in and of itself is nothing to be ashamed of. But it's just that you feel that you don't feel part of that majority culture can be quite challenging. 
I think I've always had a sense of trying to fit in, like that analogy of always feeling like a square peg in a circle hole. I always had a sense of if I wanted to attend this church, an unspoken sense I had to chip off my edges to become a circle to fit in the hole. But that gets tiring after trying that for a while. Um, and there's like lots of small things, but I think um, even even something as simple as kind of culturally me going to the pub, like it would fill me with kind of anxiety initially when I first moved. But I thought if I don't go to the pub, I won't make any friends in church, so I have to do it. Um, and then even slightly humorous looking back examples of like going to barbecues and like taking around curries and just being really self-conscious that everyone's brought the little sliced melon pieces and salad with pomegranate seeds. And no one eats our like curry. And I'm like, is it because of lots of food or is it because it's unsuitable for an English summer barbecue? Um, and yeah, and that example didn't mention about specific barbecue. I think that that was probably like, say, a breaking point um, where, yeah, where like we we left early. Like it was done in a very polite English way, but I had to go back for, for, for something. Um, and, and then I noticed that people were still there, but I noticed everyone who left, which was us and our friend, were all people of colour. The people that were present were all white English. Now, no way do I leave that that was done intentionally, but it just someone like me who already felt like an outsider and always trying to fit in, that was like the final straw, I think. And then I remember the next day, he was a friend from church, just like breaking down crying because, um, yeah, I think it's like, it doesn't come into leaves with any expectation um, of like, or with any preconceived notion, should I say. I, I, I did have expectation and I've always, always found church as a Christian to be the place I want to belong and fit in. Um, society, I have less hope for, funnily enough. Like if someone verbally, racially abuses me, I'd be like, oh, it's, it's okay. They're just ignorant just from a small village or a small town mentality. But it's in a church, it can be challenging. And I think... Um, and it is something that I tried to address in the past, but I remember um, bringing it up with uh, one of the leaders one time, and the response was, again, not intentional, but it was like, oh, all right, Benji, we all kind of experienced that. It's, it's a lie from the enemy. And, and while that was true, it kind of, I didn't feel validated or heard at that time. It was like, oh, yeah, like, your situation is not unique. Like, almost like we don't see you and your culture. And, and there's times where, like, always trying to you know, fit in, because when you're in a new city as well. And, yeah, but but then I think God's given us our, our culture something to be out of. Like, like Betty said, I 100% agree that our primary identity is in Christ, but there's, um, there's, there's something nice to be from an Indian heritage and our, like, curries are the national dish now. You know, like, little things like that. Um, and I think... So it did kind of shock me when it kind of exploded onto the scene in, in the UK where people previously that, that had a blank look if I just talk about race. It was something that I always acknowledge and experience. But um, so it was challenging when it was all of a sudden people were talking about it. But I think it's opened up many helpful conversations. And I, in June, after seeing George Floyd, I felt like lots of emotions. But I, I wrote an essay which was really helpful for me to just my thoughts and capture some of my like thoughts as a Christian and race. And it was really helpful to send that round to some Christian leaders I knew in kind of Leeds and, and even in my previous cities as well. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's it's been positive. I definitely acknowledge challenges, and I think as a, as the church or church to leave, I think we we definitely can do better. But that it's something that gives us hope because we can we can do better than society where there's people are fractionated and polarized. But you know we have the light of Christ in our lives, and I really believe we can reflect that in our churches. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Benji, for that story. I think what you said about um, square pegs and round holes really resonated quite a lot. I, had you had you met any other square pegs? Have you as, as along along the along the road? Have you met other square pegs who you've been able to, I guess, commiserate with about being a square peg in a round hole? Yeah, um, maybe Judah. <laughs> no, like it's funny, Becky, because I think I'm still speaking a little bit. To, nominally Christian friends and they're like, oh Benji, I just just leave church. You like church because different church. And I think historically, especially when um the Windrush generation came to the UK, um as see churches can sometimes I think there's a powerful quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I think it was MLK Day this week and he was like um you know eleven AM on Sunday mornings are some of the most segregated times in our country. And I think the UK I, I think there's been elements of that where it's like, oh yeah why would you go to a church and you know feel like an outsider? Why not just leave? Um, so in some ways, Becky, that's been a challenge where I haven't really met people or kind of openly spoke about, um, yeah, kind of people that have similar experiences. And it's something that I was intentionally trying to like. There's a quote from um, Mahatma Gandhi, and he, you know, it's a classic like, "Be the change you want to see in the world." Um, and, I was inspired yeah. by that because it's easy to criticize from the outside. You're like, ah, oh, the church and the evil of this church, like, yeah, it's this. And um, typically you get some of the people of color that can be treated into their own little groups and not even have more white friends because they're so spirited. But I, but I was like, actually, I feel a sense of kind of pushback, but it was it was just getting a bit tiring, um, especially when you, as a minority culture, feel like you have to try and fit in, as yeah. I think it's a case of the majority culture also has an important role to play. Um, yeah, so it's in um, our church has recently started a uh, kind of what, what they call it, um, BAME, B A M E, and um, like um, like a BAME community, uh, sorry, a BAME committee. So that's been quite interesting. Like, first, I'm kind of brought up conversations with other people of color, and I, I didn't really know many of them that well, but this has enabled me to talk about it. Thank you, Benji. Have, just before we move on briefly, Betty, Judah, do you have any reflections? Maybe we start with Betty. So, like the churches that you go to, or um, are they like quite big churches? Are they diverse, but no one kind of thinks that racism is a problem? Is that why other people don't have those conversations? Like, as in, like minority yeah, sure. groups? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no point kind of hiding details because as I'll get on to later. I really, really appreciate what my church have done, actually. I think they've handled it exceptionally well. Um, so, yeah, so the church I go to is in it's called Mosaic. We have campuses across North, Leeds, South. I've predominantly gone to Holbeck. Mm-hmm. And recently, I've been going more to South, um, which is in Beeston. So South itself is, I think, of the gatherings, there's most kind of people of colour. Um, Holbeck was always a white majority, and I guess it still is, but like I said, like that itself, something, it's it's not an issue when it's 
handled, I guess, in a proper way. So yeah, it's kind of the main church I worked with the last three years or the main gathering was majority white, which is why I didn't have an opportunity. Whereas, um, yeah, I think just because there's a few um, people of color, some of the other gatherings that have been part of the kind of BAME committee, and that's been really positive. I think they, their experiences echo in mine. And I think we're all hopeful because we're trying to contribute to change while being part and, and really loving our church. Like it's, mm. it's an exceptional church community, the gatherings that I go to. So it's, it's just kind of acknowledging one way that we can love each other better. But yeah, so there were other people, but only recently have we started to kind of, or has it been acknowledged in the leadership so we can talk about it openly? I'm just conscious of time. Um, so, so perhaps we could move on to Betty for, yeah. for your story. Yeah, sure. Um, I've kind of had a sort of majority good experience within the church, and I'm not sure if that's because I sort of went to a church from a very one church for a, a, from a young age. Um, we, my mum and I, started going to a church in um, in Beeston when I think I was about ten. And it was, it still is quite a small family orientated sort of church. So I don't know if that in itself uh, plays a big role. Um, But it was well integrated. We had families from Nigeria, um, obviously me and my mum, Ethiopian and Eritrean and then Ghanaian. But my experience personally within that church has been positive and I don't know if maybe like growing up with the other kids around there it it didn't I don't know I don't think you really take into consideration race when you're young I think you kind of just see your peers as your peers and then it's kind of as you get older and you you know society affects you a little bit more you're like oh maybe these differences are present in in church but I think the biggest thing as well was there was one lady in our in my church who had been going there since she was I think she moved to the UK when she was 14 and she's been going for well over 30 years and she for the longest time she was the only black woman in the church and was very segregated but she never stopped um coming to the church and I think now I think about it I feel like maybe it relates back to what I was saying earlier in the fact that her identity probably stems more in God and in Christ rather than maybe her being a black Caribbean woman. I think maybe her faith is so strong that she kind of might have felt that that that's that's the reason she goes to church and her being black shouldn't, even if there was like segregation and sort of like, uh, no accept uh, no acceptance from the congregation I think the thing that kept her going is the fact that she was there to listen to God's word but you know she'd been going to that church for 30 years and I can't begin to imagine how lonely that must be to go every single week and not have a congregation that's quite a small congregation so I feel like it's even more like magnified that you're not welcome or whatever it may be and then I a few years before my mum and I started going to that church, there was a family of five who really went through it with like the home office and their case and everything. But I think that was like a really 
eye-opening time for the church to see how people live how like people's lives in Britain are not all the same and this family came as like refugees they were seeking asylum here and um they like half the family got deported the dad was the only one that ended up staying here and I think that was like a really eye-opening time for the church because they didn't if I think sometimes if you don't have people who show you certain experiences from their life experiences from their view you're never going to be aware of it because there's no reason for you to um ask questions if that makes sense like sometimes I think people are not ignorant because they don't want to know I think it's just life doesn't allow them to ask any questions so I feel like those sort of people that came before us are almost like pioneers for us um or like at least for me and my mum and maybe that's why we didn't experience as much racism in the church as we could have but I think for me it became more prominent when I went to uni and I tried to find churches with maybe just like a congregation that were more my age and um it felt a bit clicky which I found odd because I grew up in this small family sort of orientated church and it was about faith and God and then coming into like a bigger church I thought that would just naturally expand whereas it felt very grouped and it wasn't very diverse I tried a few churches and they weren't very diverse but they felt very grouped I I don't know I didn't feel the same like uh, warm Christian feeling I don't know if that's a good way to describe it but um yeah I think that's kind of like my experiences so far within churches Thank you, Betty, for sharing that. I've seen lots of nodding heads from Benji and Judith. I'm going to let them jump in first with any any reflections or questions. Yeah, I think for me, I like, I really liked about, I think you say that Nigerian family, how they were like pioneers. Mm. Or, or they almost did the hard work of getting the church notice. And then how for you and your mum, like, you were able to build up that hard work. And that's, that's the sense I get where we are. I guess you could, you could even say that where we are as a church in the UK or in Leeds, we're at that moment where we can start to be pioneering so when people come in the future. And our city, let's face it, is very diverse, um, especially in, in South Leeds as well. So it's like people can be pioneers. So when future people come, I found that really powerful. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I was just thinking, Betty, when you were saying about yeah, your church and you, know, you said, um, I think, do you say it's more more diverse now the one your small local church in Beeston yeah it's 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 quite a diverse church okay so I was wondering as you know kind of we well Benji and I in in kind of very white majority church and actually Mm -hmm. in the one of the ones that Benji described like we are usually the only non-white family there at all the services um so we represent the world I guess here or whatever (laughs) but like but like do you feel then confident so if there's other peers your age for the the small church you go to do you do you feel that there's a platform or there's a conversation that you can have about race because you said it's now it seems to be you know everyone's kind of inclusive there but is it is it talked about basically in the church or is it just kind of accepted um i think it's it starting to be talked about especially before uh 
the lockdown, um, there was a few members who wanted to start like a, um, I'm not really sure what to call it, but I guess just a, a group where all all people of the church could come whatever ages we're kind of like even though it's quite a small church we have quite a good range of ages and and races and it was just supposed to be a group where um it they we acknowledge that there are issues that happen in the world that do actually affect the church um and race is one of them and unfortunately we weren't able to like get that going but there was definitely steps to have those like conversations be started within the church and not like um and include all ages and all sort of questions and have open discussions within the church so yeah I found what you said about um like when you moved from that church to when you went to university and you were kind of much bigger environment Mm. and you it was less either that you noticed a real difference do you think that the? Cause I found it interesting what you were saying about being really family orientated um, at the, the smaller church. Do you think that how, like how important do you think the relationships have been um, in terms of your sense of feeling um, accepted or feeling that you know race and racism isn't as big an issue for you in your, in that church as it is potentially in others? I mean, do you think the smallness of it makes the difference, or is it? the fact that maybe people have been going for a long time um is, is anything that you can put your finger on I don't I think it might be the fact that it is small and you get to know each individual so I think sometimes one of the biggest problems with um with racism in particular is not being able to re- relate to other people's experiences because you haven't lived them or you don't know anyone who's lived through it Whereas I think in in our church, it's a case of everyone knows everyone's names, everyone knows what's going on in people's lives. So I think that like bond of just knowing each other, it's not it's not just like a Sunday morning activity and then everyone goes home. We usually will stay after afterwards and like chat about our lives and chat about the service and we know each other well. So I think that, helps because one when you're close you know that conversations that are difficult to have are coming from a loving place they're not coming from a place of like attack um so yeah I don't I don't I think I think those relationships are important maybe that's what's lacking in bigger churches is um it's hard to get to know everyone it's hard to know everyone's experience on like a personal level so um, yeah maybe that is the maybe that is the difference in our in a smaller church sorry not not even just particularly beeston but in smaller churches as a whole some really rich stuff there Bettina, and, and a lot of hopeful stuff as well i think yeah. and the positive experiences that you've had and i think that i guess what you you said about um you know the opportunities that smallness kind of creates maybe leads us on to the next part of the conversation, which is 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 turning some of these experiences and and reflections and the thoughts that you've been having into ideas for action. Um, so in community organising, we're very much action focused. We talk about power a lot, and we talk about action a lot. Um, because if we want to move forward, then we have to do stuff. Um, so I guess the question is, 
what practically can we do or what practical action, what ideas do we have for what what the church can do, what what Christians can do in Leeds, thinking of, particularly about our city and um, what it looks like and your experiences of it. What what action can the church take in Leeds? And I'm I'm gonna throw that throw that out there and and see what ideas you have. I think um yeah I think one thing Becky that I found I said mosaic that I really appreciated was actually teaching um on a Sunday like how how God values people from all over the world, different cultures. Like we had a six week series on racism, radical inclusion. Um and yeah and it's so acknowledging that it is it will be difficult conversations but but we're doing it because it's necessary. And there's so many passages in our holy scripture that's so encouraging about loving others are different to you and how every tribe and tongue will all be united one day. So there's such a rich teaching within our Bible. Um, so I think that's kind of one practical way. And there was one in the, the first session, um, there was a clip from a you know, pastor called Topi in, in London. I like some of his points. He, he, he encouraged us to go beyond integration to acceptance. So not just having and celebrating having people that are diverse, right? But actually accepting them and going beyond toleration to love. Um and also going beyond native culture to kingdom culture and how you know like we don't necessarily want perfect political correctness. We know that we might say stuff that might unwittingly offend our brothers and sisters, but not to stray from that conversation and to uh, yeah encourage you meeting people from different cultures. It might be ethnicity or race, it could be class. And um, I think that's those are some things on my heart, like with actions that, that people or churches could do. And there's something so powerful about a leadership from the front mm. on this issue. We talk about we talk a lot about leadership from behind in organising, but I think this is something that that really kind of leading from the front is such a huge, 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 huge thing. What about um, what about you, Judah and Benji? Have you got any practical ideas? Do you want to go for it, Judah? <laughs> I'm like in oh, my yeah. thought process. Okay, yeah. So, wait, um, yeah, so I think for me, just I don't know what Benji said. It's, yes, it's a two-way thing. Um, but I think from the story, I think the part that I you know, wanted emphasis on was of the church leader kind of, of, of directly asking me, can we meet up? Which um, So there's something about... And make giving that space and time for the the person of color, um, or you can this can just be used generally for disadvantaged groups anyway. Um, but having give them that space to be able to air their uh, concerns, but and taking on on board what was uh, said, and then actually an action plan from that. So Mosaic have started like a the group that Benji mentioned, and I, and I saw some of their kind of um, action plans, and it was all about kind of. And being welcoming and it's really kind of really helpful step-by-step thing so if you're if there's a church that you're part of and you have bme members you know not forcing them to have this conversation but actually opening up and say look i i genuinely genuinely want to hear your views and i want to make some changes so i think from the front um when the leader mosaic did that i think that was very powerful uh, so i think that's as a you know as church leaders can do um and i think for as the church um in the, you know christian individual um, educate yourself. You know, there's you. You know, people like reading. Yes. Yeah? So actually, we like reading. So 
there's some amazing we're not Christian books out there on basically looking at Christianity and race. So actually start looking at some of those books. And I think it's having not just sermons, but small group series on some of these things about welcoming the outsider. This isn't just about race to talk about. We're talking about there's big issues to do with class and accepting working class people in, in churches as well. So there's wider things here that if we get good at accepting people from different cultures, we will be a more united church. And I think that's the, the thing that I would fo- focus on. Thanks, Judith. I think that resonates a lot around this idea of having some kind of structure, like a bit of a plan almost in terms of how we're going to tackle this thing. Um, so it's it, because it can be easy to kind of, you know, make us, there was a lot of statements that were made over the summer. Like everybody had a statement out last mm-hmm. summer. Um, but it's a, it's a whole different ballgame to actually then actually have a plan of action and a clear plan of how you're going to follow that through. That just sounds like a, a really constructive way forward. Actually, have you got, have you got any, uh, any practical ideas? Um, I was just thinking about especially within larger churches um I think following on from the idea of like building relationships and having that safety net both for any minorities and also for any like white counterparts to have open conversation I think within maybe bigger churches it's important to have smaller smaller groups maybe that meet often or whatever it may be but um and and not just for like not for it to be like a one-way conversation of say me for example as a black person you know telling saying my experiences but also um maybe for my white peers to feel comfortable enough to ask me questions and voice their um voice their concerns I guess because I think a big thing is acknowledging that the world's issues still do affect the church because as soon as we leave the church we go out and work in the world and we have friends in the world and we're not immune to that so I think both both parties need to feel comfortable to ask questions and also receive sort of like replies that don't come from an angry place and like it's just a safe space for everyone to talk but clearly I think that having a foundation of a good relationship with one another is is maybe more important than I realize so yeah I think that's really true and I think um I think you picked up on something about 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 white people being able to ask questions one thing I reflected on quite a lot is um and I know I've, I've spoken about this issue for quite a long time, and um, I reflected on this with Benji and Judy before that I, I've had this as a white person. I've had this conversation a lot, but not with white people. Um, generally speaking, it's with people of colour, which I think says a lot in terms of of of, of the people's com- white people's confidence um, or feelings about having this conversation, whether it be people just seeing it as not relevant for them, which says a lot in itself, mm. um, or just not knowing how to talk about it, being worried about offending people. Um, so having having that context of really strong relationship, because you can say, you know, if you've got if you're good friends with someone, you can say a lot to them. 
Um, and hopefully they won't be marching out of the room because they know you well enough um, to be able to talk those things through. But having that, I guess that's like building a culture, isn't it? Build, building a culture of, of relationship and good relationships so you're able to have those conversations. Yeah. So we've come to the end of our conversation. I've, I've found it really really enriching and, and, and challenging listening to you all. And I, I just want to thank you so much for for giving your time this evening and sharing what have been sometimes, you know, quite difficult experiences and, and moments of vulnerability. But it's great to hear that you have hope um for this yeah. issue for for the church in in Leeds. Um and I'm looking forward actually to hearing more from you all in the future and, and watching and, and seeing what you might do in terms of of driving forward change on this thing. And I think I think one of the things that struck me um was what you said, Betsy, about about relationship. And it reminded me actually of something I heard from I think it was Michelle Obama, um, who said that it's hard to hate up close. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's actually also it's hard to to misunderstand or be unconsciously biased or exclusionary towards someone who you're up close to. It's actually really difficult to do that. Um, so maybe one kind of really practical action if we're, we're going to finish this is, is is to encourage people to to get up close and get to know um, a person of a person of a different colour to yourself, so you can develop that understanding. Um, and in community organising, listening and building relationships is a huge part of organising. It's the foundation of change. Um, so we would want to encourage you to have a conversation. Um, whether that be with somebody in your church or someone in your community, and to consider having, um, I guess, relating to some of the things that have been said this evening, having a conversation within your church as a whole, because change is a, as, as Judy alluded to at the beginning, you know, a lot of this stuff is structural and it's, it's kind of seeped into our institution. So if you're interested in having a, con- a church-wide conversation about this issue, whether you are a multicultural church or whether you are more of a, a monocultural church, it's still an important conversation for everybody to have because it's an issue that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're if you interested in doing that and you want maybe some support and advice about how you might might practically go about doing it, um, if it feels like a bit of an intimidating thing, please do get in touch with us uh, at Lead Citizens because that's something that we're able to support organisations to do through using community organising. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, we're at, at Lead Citizens and on Twitter at Lead Citizens as well, so you can find us there and get in touch. Thank you so much, everybody, for the conversation this evening, and good night. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Leeds Church Institute. To find out more about the Leeds Church Institute, visit lcileeds.org.